0: Thirty-three years ago, Ruth Ann Minner, the daughter of a sharecropper, was suddenly widowed with three sons to raise and not even a high school diploma to build a career on. Scrappy and determined, Mrs. Minner worked two jobs, went to school, and finally saw her future after landing a receptionist job in the office of the Delaware governor. Her future was to rise to become governor herself. That's the lead in a New York Times story from January 2001, the moment when our country met Ruth Ann Minner. Delaware's first woman governor didn't get there by accident. Her story is one of relentless determination over decades. To help celebrate her 85th birthday, we spoke to several people who watched Ruth Ann become the trailblazer we remember. Dick Carter is Legislative Hall's resident historian and has known Governor Minner for decades. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count.
1: Uh, my name is Dick Carter. My title is Director of Special Projects for the State Senate Majority Caucus and also the Chairman of the Delaware Heritage Commission. I came to work for the State Senate in uh, April of 1987, at which point Ruth Ann was still serving in the Senate, and I worked with her for about uh, four pardon me, five years while she was in the Senate and uh, always found her to be probably the best organized member of the Senate that I ever ran into. That was back before the digital age had had, uh, descended upon us. And she used to keep a, a couple of boxes full of index cards in which she had, I think, every person or certainly every registered voter in her Senate district on an index card. And every time she would have any interaction with them whatsoever, notes went down on that card. And the other thing that was interesting was that uh, this is back when we used to do uh, a lot of direct mail and campaigns. I should mention in those days that Senate staff people were, it was made very clear to us on our first day that that uh, we had certain unofficial duties in election years, one of which was helping our bosses get reelected. So uh, anyway, uh, I did a lot of that for her and others. But um, we would send out these direct mail pieces, and she always knew exactly where every single house was on all the rural routes in her district, of which there were numerous ones, uh, that being the Milford country areas around the the town of Milford. So I I came to have an awful lot of respect for her then.
0: How would you describe her? um, I know she had a very interesting start to, um, you know, running for office. How would you describe her um, in that lead-up and then when she actually finally...
1: The thing that's really interesting about her, I mean, the woman's had an absolutely fascinating life. She, I think, served in almost every function you can serve in in this building, She was a House page, a Senate page. She was Governor Tribbett's secretary and had her office out in the hallway on the second floor of Legislative Hall. Uh, She served for, I think, eight years in the House of Representatives, and she served for about 10 years in the state Senate. Then she served as lieutenant governor and then as governor. So I mean, she's she's like every possible. I mean, I don't think she ever worked in the kitchen, but uh, just about everything else, you know, she she did. <laughs> the other thing that is just amazing to me about Ruth Ann is that she was born and raised on a farm in the Slaughter Neck section of northeastern Sussex County, and uh, she attended Milford High School and she quit school at the age of sixteen to get married to her. Uh, true love, Frank Ingram. And she was, um, uh, you know, a lot of girls that quit school at that age or do do so because they are with child. And she was not. She just was madly in love and wanted to get married, so they did. And uh, they went on to have three sons. And then her husband died in his very early 30s. And uh, there was... was. um, Ann with with uh, three quite young boys and a high school dropout. She, I guess she was about thirty at the time, and she got wound up getting a GED from Dell Tech. And she also this this just uh, this is kind of practical person she is. She got a job for the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's Crop Reporting Service, which would drive her car around uh, the rural areas of of. Uh, Delaware and the eastern shore of Maryland uh, recording crop data at all these farms and the reason she did that was because she could take her little boys with her in the car and they would sit in the back seat and play games and or do their schoolwork or whatever and then she's driving around from place to place and uh, she would pack lunches for everybody and they'd stop somewhere en route and have lunch And that just really sort of fascinated me that that she did that. I guess she was by this time working for Governor Tribbett when uh, the incumbent representative in her area uh, retired or left office or something, and it was strongly suggested to her that she should run for the seat, and she did and got elected. Now, somewhere along in there, she married Roger Minner, her second husband, who took the boys and raised them as as his own, so to speak.
0: What do you think it was about politics that drew her to that call to public service? Well,
1: I I think that she had gotten her first real introduction to it through her first husband, Frank, who was also active in uh, local politics during his life. And she was obviously a very intelligent and highly competent person, and had a real skill for for helping people with their problems with state government and so on, which she developed when she was working in her various uh, capacities for the legislature and and the governor. And so it was just sort of a natural evolution. Uh, You know, as I say, the the woman's life story is utterly remarkable. To go from a, a high school dropout widow with three small children uh, to all of the things that she has accomplished in her life and career is pretty amazing by anybody's standard of measurement. I w- I would think that she would be a great inspiration, particularly to young women and really to pretty much anybody. She also, by the way, was the last, the most recent, I should say, Sussex County, and she's a native Sussex County, and although she who lived now for many years in Kent, but she was the last native Sussex County to serve as governor. She also is the longest-serving governor in Delaware history because when uh, governors are completing their second terms and they get elected to the U.S. Congress, a lot of times they retire a couple of weeks early to go over and get sworn in in Washington, and that happened with her when she was lieutenant governor under Carper. And she had been elected governor in her own right, but she served for three weeks as governor when he retired to go to D.C. And her two full terms plus the three weeks had made her Delaware's longest serving governor, which I think is kind of neat. I mean, I, I, I don't think she spent a lot of time thinking about how wonderful she is, but, but I, I, I can't see that she wouldn't see herself as a trailblazer. You know, one story I, was, I wanted to tell you that, that just amazed me As I said, she grew up on this farm in in, uh, uh, the Slaughter Neck area, and her her family was by no means affluent. And during World War II, when she was a, a child, there were about six or seven POW camps around the various places in the state of Delaware. One of which was located at the old, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it it was an old army fort out on the road to Slaughter Beach. There was a POW camp there during World War II, and they had a lot of German POWs, and they worked on local farms because there was a big manpower shortage. And her father had several of these guys that worked on his farm. And there was one in particular that, that she became very close to. All of a sudden, he just stopped coming to their farm, and she was sort of upset about it. And one of the GIs that accompanied them said, well, you know, we, were, we weren't going to tell you this, but his, he found out that his whole family, his wife and children and everybody, were killed in one of these big uh, bombing raids over Germany. I think it was probably like Dresden or one of those things. It was just like total havoc. And he was so upset by this that he took his own life. And this is when she's like, probably seven or eight years old. So, I mean, you know, her life has not been without tragedy. Yeah. I would say she's highly gifted. She has common sense. And I was reading a bunch of quotes by Will Rogers yesterday, and one of his quotes was, common sense ain't common. And so, I mean, that's very true. She, she's a very effective at dealing with people and very caring I am grateful for having had the experience of knowing and working with her. She's one of the, one of the ones for the, the books, which is why we're writing a book about her. <laughs>
0: so. Mark Brainerd was right by Governor Minner's side as her chief of staff and helped her craft a legacy that still impacts Delawareans today.
2: I met Governor Minner when I started working in the Delaware House of Representatives as a page. And uh, 1979, uh, a college student working here part time and uh, the House Democrats were in the majority at the time. And she was the majority whip. She was a state representative and uh, met her. And then she, I forget, I believe it was 1980, she got elected uh, to the state Senate. Representing the Milford area, and uh, in 1984, I I became chief of staff for the Delaware State Senate, for the majority caucus. So I started working directly for her again in the Senate. I don't think she ever changed as a person, whether she was a state representative or a lieutenant governor or a governor. She was she was basically that uh, person who got involved for all the right reasons and was very successful, very down to earth nothing, she never got caught up in being elected anything. She was just a true, genuine, down-to-earth person. At, at heart, I mean, she's a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother. That's I believe that's the way she views the world, just as, you know, how she uh, takes care of her family. That's the way she took care of her state employees or her whatever she was talking about at the time. That's the way she viewed things. So... That's what I remember her. She's very down to earth, very approachable. Um, I learned early on also not to mess with her. I, I will never forget the image of her sitting down in Woodburn with uh, the cook and you know the butler there, and they she had them sit at the table with her and have coffee, and they would talk, and they she would know everything about their families. And uh, they, they loved her. I mean, they, they just treated her with such respect. And it was because of that personal connection that she made with everybody. Whether Again, if it was a frontline employee to a CEO. I remember that because the following week, we went to NGA, National Governors Association meeting in DC. And um, after the first day of meetings, there was a picture on USA Today, and uh, President Bush, George W. Bush, was sitting down with her, you know, leaning in, talking about Homeland Security. And I thought those two images are the images that are forever locked in because she was such a unique personality to be able to uh, connect in a very real, personal, human way with uh, everyone from the cook at Woodburn to state employees out working um, in a variety of different functions to the President of the United States. He walked into the NGA and he knew that she was one of these straight shooting, you know, no holds barred type of uh, governors. And when he wanted some direct feedback on Homeland Security, he went over and, you know, pigeonholed her for about 20 minutes and they sat there and he wanted to know what she thought about different things that you know Secretary Ridge was doing at the time. And uh, that to me, uh, it was just an image, it's a snapshot. I'll never lose it because that was a very, that was her. That was her very unique ability to navigate everybody from frontline state employee
3: to the president. So I wanna, I wanna turn to something that um, at the time was very controversial. Mm-hmm. But uh, today would be looked at extremely favorably and as groundbreaking and landmark, and that would be the indoor smoking ban or the Clean Indoor Air Act. Yeah. Take take us inside what it was like um, to be in the room, to be there discussing this issue with the governor, and to uh, as things were unfolding. What was it? What was it like? You know, the backlash that she faced. I know. I mean, there was a whole re-election almost entirely based on it. She drew a third party candidate. Correct. Solely because of that. Correct. Yeah, that's that's correct. And
2: there's a couple of things that happened going into that reelection. But let's talk about the smoking ban first. And again, I think the thing that to me best demonstrates her approach to that whole issue is a story. Okay, so um, we're here in probably 2005. Uh, No, I'm wrong came here in 2002 it was probably 2003 early 2003 okay so she's heading in to the second two-year chunk of the General Assembly into her first reelection and uh, there's a caucus that's that's pretty outraged about the smoking ban they want to pass a bill that will amend the ban um, they're either going to take out restaurants or bars or both or casinos. I, I, I don't remember the details, but I remember going downstairs and pulling off a couple of friends and saying, you do that and she will veto it. And you know, you you don't want to be in that position because it's more than just passing the bill. Now you got an override a veto. And do, do you really want to do that? I mean, do you really, this is done. And, uh, you know, obviously I reported into her and, um, you know, I said, there's a, there's efforts underfoot downstairs about passing a bill to, to amend the smoking ban. She said, they can do what they want. I'm going to veto it. And you can make it very clear. There's, there's no discussion about something like this. I go back downstairs. By this time, the caucus conversation is getting pretty animated. There are certain people in there that, you know, they don't want to be seen as, first of all, a lot of them supported it. A lot of them didn't want to go against the governor. And some of them were adamant about passing the bill. So one of the very few times I remember getting called into a caucus and, you um, you know, there's a lot of table pounding and things like that. And I, and I said, you, you don't want to do this. You know, the, the governor will veto this. It will create an awful lot of heartburn for the rest of the session. This is really. And a few of them said, do you understand how bad she's being seen in the community and how the polling numbers are just crushing her? and all? I said, this really isn't a political calculation for her. This is really something she's personally committed to. She's not moving on it. So I went back upstairs. And they, you know, well, get out of here and go tell her we're serious. We're passing this bill. So I run upstairs and she said, fine, you tell them, pass whatever they want. It hits my desk. I'm vetoing it. So I go back downstairs. This is not a political calculation. She's going to veto the bill. We want to see her. So I go back upstairs. I said, they want to come in here and tell you just how bad this is going to be for you going into re-election and, and uh, they want to come up here and tell you in person. They don't think I'm delivering the message right. She just bring them up. So we all go up there. You've been in that office countless times and they all sit around there and they're they're coming after her pretty good. And she just let them let them vent. They let them, they're a little bit of screaming and hollering and all that colorful language and everything. And finally somebody said if you don't allow us to pass a bill to, you know, exempt some of these uh, facilities. Um, you're going to be a one-term governor. It's as simple as that. And she just sat back in the chair and said, well, oh, that's a heck of a legacy. And she just smiled and looked at him and said, okay. And she said, you're, we're, we're serious. You're going to be a one-term governor. And she says, I'll protect that smoking ban. That'll be a heck of a legacy. I'm, I'm satisfied with that. So they got up and walked out, and that was the end of the, you know, the conversation around that. The the smoking ban was really, really controversial. You know, this governor, uh, Governor Carney, likes to talk about uh, you know the the parade factor when you go to parades. He, you know, he judges how things are going based on the reception you get at parades. She had people screaming at her at parades. It was it was yeah. So, um, but you know what she was, she was comfortable in her skin. She was comfortable with her position. She believed in that band. She believed in the cancer consortium and the, and the work that the real investments that went into the cancer consortium, you know, Delaware had one of the highest incidence rates of cancer and highest mortality rates in the country. And the numbers you just go look at the numbers, not just after her eight years, but look at the numbers now. How Delaware ranks. So she um, she's very committed to that, and it wasn't easy. the uh, the, the story that came to mind: I, Here I am, a young kid, you know, as a page, right? And I'm walking into the House Chamber one June thirtieth, and at the time, the House Democrats controlled majority by one vote. It was twenty one twenty. And uh, she was the whip, so it was her job to keep all the Democrats in the chamber. And I won't mention any names, but one of these young bucks goes walking out and he's in an office back there on the phone. It's like eight o'clock at night. And um, she looks over to the side and I'm sitting there and she calls me over and she says, where's so-and-so? I said, Representative, I have no idea. She goes, go find him and tell him to get out on this House floor right now. So I go looking at all these offices, you know, and, and, I, and sure enough, I come to this s- state representative and he's on the phone. He's got his feet up on the desk. And he's barking at me like, what do you want? You know, I said, Representative Minner wants you out on that. Said, Get out of here. I'm on the phone. Right. So I go walking out to the house floor and she's like, where is he? And I went, he won't come. So she gets up out of that chair and I swear she marches back and I can hear a door slam on the house floor I can hear a door slam right so like literally a minute later this guy comes walking out into the house chamber with his face all red and you know you you could tell he's mumbling under his breath and she's walking out behind him you know just kind of like she's got her head down I'm like man I am never gonna get crossways with that woman I don't know what she did to him or what she said but she she was you know they always talked about the fact that she was tough I don't you know, the, the arm twisting and all that, I just think that she had this reputation of being steely. You know, the, you, you were not going to push her around. You weren't going to threaten her. She, she came into that office, and she used to tell us all the time, you know, uh, the media is not going to run this state. You know, we're going to do what we think is right. And, or this group is not going to run the state. You know, it's our job to make sure that the, you know, the agencies are running well. It's our job to uh, lay out our priorities and they're not going to run it. It's our job to do that. And um, that to me, when when you run for governor or if you're a chief executive or, you know, obviously run for president or something, you go in there with some pretty clear ideas about what you want to get done and how. And uh, if if you allow other people to tell you how to do it and what you're going to do and all that, then, you know, why be there? She had some very clear ideas what needed to be done and what her priorities were. So, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, she was smart. She was very strategic. If she thought there was a way other than to take a bill defeat, then she would negotiate or talk through a compromise or an amendment or something like that. But I'll tell you, all I remember is her just developing a position and just fighting for it. She was a good person. She was a really good person. You know, Jim Souls used to say, you know, you want good government? I like good people. Uh, You know, it sounds overly simplistic, but it's true. And I, you know, I remember during the first couple of years, we we used to sit around in the late evenings talking about budgets and going through and cutting line by line by line. And you know, one night I remember she was in her office getting ready to go back to Milford and and uh, putting her coat on. And uh, it, it was a long, contentious day. Nobody likes cutting things and um she went through an entire day of making decisions on cutting and um I said uh I said something like well you know someday you'll be able to get some things done just trying to put a positive spin on the day and she said um you know Mark save all your energy like your really important energy for home I'm I'm going to go home, and I'm going to see my kids and my grandkids, and that's where I'm directing my energy. You know, this is just work. Now, these days are long, and they're not all that fun, and it's it's really difficult work, but it's work, and this is during one of my first couple of months, you know, on board as chief of staff, so I'm kind of being you know, hypervigilant, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. And, I, you know, that didn't happen really for years after that. But it was so refreshing to have somebody in such an important job look at you and say, dude, don't get caught up in this mess, or else it's going to, you know, kind of chew you up and spit you out. And she basically said in no uncertain terms, your family is the most important thing ever. And no matter how important your job is and no matter what title you have, this is just work. Keep that in perspective and then go home and expend really Im- important energy on your family. And, um, you know, it was funny. She was one of those people who would always leave you with one of those morsels on her way out the door. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, another night in this building, you know, 9, 930, she's walking out. And I I was frustrated, I forget about why. And she said, the only thing we can do at the end of the day is look in that mirror and tell ourselves, yeah, we tried to do the right thing. And that's it. And it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, you you get all this complicated BS flying around you, you know, you got eight million people yelling at you, you got all this stuff swirling around you, and then you got your boss looking at you and saying, hey, we tried to do the right thing. It's all it is, just go home, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, it's a very long way of saying she was a very good person. She is a good person. And uh, she made sure that when she became governor, she, you know, demonstrated that.
0: Bobby Byrd, while currently a lobbyist, served in the House of Representatives with Governor Minner as she started her political career.
4: Bob Bird, uh, I'm a lobbyist uh, with the Bird Group. I've been doing this for thirty some years. Uh, prior to that, I was the lobbyist for the State Chamber of Commerce for ten years. Prior to that, I was state legislator uh, back in the seventies. Ruth Ann and I go back go back much. Well, I won't say much further. She and my mother worked together in Sherman Tribbett's office when Sherman was governor, and I think I first met Ruth Ann. In probably the late 60s or the early 70s, in Democratic club functions, and that's before your time. And um, but there used to be a series of Democratic clubs across Delaware, and um, you know that was a way that that was before the conventions and all of that. But those they, they were very active, and uh, you know our club was the Christiana Hundred Democratic Club. Uh, which was Elsmere and Mill Creek and and places like that and Ruth Ann of course was from downstate I think that's the first time she and I met you know there was there was a there was a lot of people who worked and Democrat and it was kind of a social thing and uh, you know people were very active so she was active in politics and by that I mean stamping the letters writing the letters making the phone calls knocking on the doors all the the nuts and bolts grassroots things that that you all have to do I mean we still do a lot about of that. But back then it was probably a little bit more primitive with no email and things like that. So yeah. and she was one of the people knocking on the doors and working in the trenches. Look, Ruth Ann Ruth Ann was a hard worker. And if you're gonna say one thing about her, how to and ask the question, how did she get to be governor? She got governor, became governor because she never quit. She did it all. You know, when, when she was elected lieutenant governor. Uh, in '92, she spent eight years doing what Governor Carper really didn't want it to. I mean, if there was a chicken dinner in Laurel and the governor had something to do up here, Ruth Ann was down there. I mean, she ran all over the state, building up that 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 credibility and getting known, so that when 2000 came around, you know, the polls showed and and we knew that that she had worked so hard during those eight years, that, that she had built up a big base. And that's, why, that's how she got there. But that, that hard work went all the way back, you know, her entire life, raising three kids and, and all of that. I said first that she and my mother worked together. That's how, you know, so, that they would, so we were around the tribut Administration. Um, and for those first two years of the Tribute Administration. And then she decided to run. She was she was on the governor's staff, but she decided to run for the legislature because it was an open seat. I had decided to run, so, you know, we knew each other. So I don't think that we really coordinated a lot during that campaign, but we certainly, we certainly knew and, you know, we knew and respected each other. So when we got to Dover, um, you know, in those days, legislators did not have an office of their own. Everything was... I don't know whether you remember this or not, but some of those offices, like Val Longers' office, right, was my office at one time and we had three people in there. Um, so I mean, you know, it was it was it was those kinds of, of things. So, you know, Ruth Ann and I decided to share an office together. Well, she always took care of her people. I mean, that's how you get to be a legislator for a long time, is you take care of your constituents. And she did that. As well as anybody else has done it over the years, I think she did a couple of things that uh, that kind of surprised me over the years. Um, she was on the bond bill committee, and um, she was she was always very interested in farmland preservation. And uh, you know, farmland preservation to her was up and down the state. So she did as much toward farmland preservation in Greenville, literally, as she did in Sussex County. And when she got to run for governor, you know, those folks in Greenville remembered that she had helped them. So, you know, she did a lot of that. She did a lot of constituent work up and down the state, and she was always doing that. She was very, you know, she was on the bond bill committees. And when you're on the bond bill committee, you know, you get to, to take care of a lot of things in a very positive way. So she did some of that, too.
3: Do you think she was looking down the line when she was a, a state representative all the way to working in the office uh, to being the person in the office where she used to work
4: you know so that that what you're what you're really asking me is when did Ruth Ann think she could be governor and I really don't know the answer to that I've thought about that and thought when when did that go off in her mind you know I, I recounted in my book that 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 she and I talked in ninety two about her running for lieutenant governor and she wanted to do that and I said to her. It's a 16-year commitment. And I said, you know, if you're going to run for lieutenant governor, you got to think about, you know, are you ready to run for governor in 2000 because, you know, that's where this all leads or it can lead there. And I said, you shouldn't run for lieutenant governor if you're not ready to take that next step. And, you know, that's when I really think she started thinking about it. I think she'd thought about it a little bit before, but that's really when she started focusing on it. And, you know, she did a really good job, and her staff did a really good job in the lieutenant governor's office. Leanne Walling and Greg Patterson and those folks. You know, she did as good a job as has been done in that last four years of her being lieutenant governor, getting ready to run for 2,000. And she did that very, very well. And the staff staff helped her do that. I remember when we were doing the campaign, we took a... uh, we had to take a day off to do the commercials. And it was extremely, it was a 12-hour day. It was extremely tedious and, you know, you you guys work with the media, you know, you do something and you say, I mean, it's not like you just sit down and talk. I mean, you know, you got to make sure that's right. You might have to do it two or three times to make sure it's right. It's very tedious. She hated it. She hated it. And I can't, with that day, I remember that day very vividly and and most, there were many times during that day where she said, I don't know why I'm doing this. This isn't gonna help. Nobody's gonna watch this. I'd much rather be at a supermarket shaking hands. And that was Ruth Ann. That was Ruth Ann. She would much rather be out there pressing the flesh than doing, doing that. My wife, ran into a, uh, my wife ran into a guy. She had a bumper, we had a bumper sticker on the car, obviously when she was running for governor. And uh, a tow truck driver stopped. And he said, I'm voting for Ruth Ann because she's one of us. And that to me says it all. She was one of us. She is one of us. She is one of us.
0: Greg Patterson helped Governor Minner win two elections and shaped her message as communications director.
5: My name's Greg Patterson. Um, From 1997 to 99, about three years, I was uh, Ann's assistant in the lieutenant governor's office. Uh, In the year 2000, I was campaign manager of the Miner campaign, her uh, election to become the first woman governor. And from 2001 to midway through 2005, I was her communications director taking a couple months of vacation late 2004 to, to also work on her uh, re-election campaign. Her, she was very good friends with uh, my father, uh, who also worked in and around um, state government as, as a lobbyist and, and was um, one of her advisors. Um, I grew up in Dover. Um, I actually did some internship type work for the News Journal uh, when I was still in high school. Uh, working in Legislative Hall. And so I knew her a little bit from that, um, knew her, you know, she basically became a family friend um, when I was growing up. I distinctly remember one year when I came home from, from college, I had, uh, my engine went out on the DC Beltway on my car, and not only did her boys come to pick me up in the tow truck uh, and bring me and my car back home, but then she gave me her uh, Ford Bronco, I believe, to drive for the week while I, was, <laughs> while I was at home. So I got to go back to college and tell my friends that uh, I had driven the L- Delaware Lieutenant Governor's car all week while I was home on break. Um, I went off into newspapers, um, was covering politics as a newspaper reporter down south. Uh, and when she had, at the beginning of her second term as Lieutenant Governor, uh, an opening in her, uh, in her office, uh, she called and said, are you interested? Um, and I always figured I'd end up in politics at some point. I wasn't quite ready to get up, give up newspaper reporting, but in having conversations with her, she was certainly the person who, who made you feel good about politics, um, who was in it for the right reasons, who was, who was devoted, who was smart, um, and, and really kind of inspired uh, the, the people around her. She was um, kind of an old school politician, as I'm sure you have heard, um, who knew where all the bodies were buried and had a very long memory. Um, and so for a first job in politics, um, it, it was something that uh, I was willing to come back to Delaware for, which I thought I, had, I, had, I would never do. The motivating factor for her through most of her political life was shaped by the way she came up. Um, she was, as, as many people know or remember from the campaign commercials in 2000, she was the daughter of, of a sharecropper. Um, she had a very poor uh, upbringing. She didn't finish high school. She married young uh, and had kids and then had her first husband die. And she was out on her own um, as, a, as a single mother. and. Uh, at a time when that was not easy, where, as she would say, banks wouldn't loan her money because she was a single, a single mom. She got a job uh, working for the crop service, going out into fields and surveying crops to, to see what the yields looked like and reporting back. And she took her kids into the fields with her because she had no other, uh, no other option. And so a lot of what motivated her uh, as an elected official, as a public servant, was trying to, uh, trying to address some of the things that she saw and felt and experienced uh, coming up. Um, she, was, she was very much a proponent of, of women's rights, um, and so I think she saw being the first woman governor as an important milestone, but her main concern was the, the everyday battles of, of making life a little easier. Um, for people in positions like her. When I worked for her, I was in my 20s and early 30s, uh, and she regularly exhausted me. Um, you know, her energy was, was just uh, endless, it seemed. Um, so she worked very, very hard. Um, she, was, she was always ready to do one more thing, one more stop uh, on the campaign trail. Um, one of the things that I think is different, uh, looking at 2000 versus statewide campaigns now, is back then, almost every group of more than 15 people uh, felt entitled to have a gubernatorial uh, candidate forum, and I, at one point I counted that year, and from uh, Labor Day to Election Day, we participated in about thirty different forums at senior centers and sponsored by the media. And whether they were big ones that were televised or small ones that there were thirty people at from the local community association, you know, she was she was always up for um, for debating the ideas. She didn't shy away from it, um, but the pace was pretty hectic. Um, fundraising is always a a tough thing for especially statewide elected officials uh, or statewide candidates to to get used to Um, she didn't like it at first Uh, eventually it became a challenge to her and (laughs) she kind of embraced it uh, and um, did very well in that arena so um, she because of her background because of her profile she got a little bit of of national attention early on um, she was in the New York Times um, that first week that she was governor. Um, I believe they came down and took a picture of her um, on a tow truck uh, down, at, uh, down at the yard. Uh, and then she was, in the first couple days, uh, she did a live shot on Good Morning America. Um, they set it up in, in Woodburn, and at 7 a.m. She was, she was live from Woodburn on Good Morning America. And I remember... Um, Charlie Gibson, the longtime host at that point, said, uh, who had clearly only prepped for about 30 seconds for this interview, um, said something like, do you, ever, do you ever wake up and pinch yourself and say, Ruthie, how did I get here? And she on national television said, Well, no, because my name is Ruth Ann. <laughs> um, which, you know, as the guy standing next to the camera watching her, <laughs> say that on national television it's just it's just amazing um, but it was an uh, it it was a uh, interesting first year you know every governor has um, has kind of a honeymoon and and a transition i think hers was easier than most um, because of her background in in legislative hall um, she had relationships that went back decades with the legislators and with legislative staff um, that I think um, helped us uh, accomplish some things in that first year. Um, one of the things is uh, you learned that you know she had sources and she had conversations that you as her staffer would never know about. And you just figure out that she'd gotten a, p- a piece of information somewhere that was very valuable that you didn't, you didn't know where it came from. Um, the most concrete example I can think of is as, as you may remember working in legislative hall, especially before everything was digital, when somebody was working on a bill or an amendment that, uh, that they were trying to keep under wraps until, uh, until they were ready, it would have to be printed um, and then would have to be introduced. And sometimes when you were working on something, um, it, would, uh, it, it would be advantageous to see it before it gets uh, introduced. And I remember at one point, and I don't remember the bill, there was an amendment coming on, on some legislation bill, and um, we knew it was coming. We didn't know exactly what it was going to say. We knew we were going to have to fight it, but you wanted to know what it said. And Ruth Ann, the governor, um, who used to sit outside, the governor's office as the receptionist and who had been a representative and a senator and and been a staffer in the building and knew everybody, she just kind of disappeared from the second floor and came back 20 minutes later and had a copy of the draft (laughs) 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 amendment because she knew who to talk to in the building. And to this day, I have no idea how she got it. I think you were able to kill the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we did. I think we did. You know, but one of the other things that happened uh, in 2001 after the legislative session, obviously, was September 11th, um, which was uh, you know, an interesting and, and scary day to go through. Uh, I was not with her in the morning uh, when everything happened. Um, I remember being actually in a, in a staff and cabinet meeting um, and somebody coming in and saying a plane just hit one of the, one of the World Trade Center buildings and um, we thought it, like many people, that it was just an accident. And then they came in a few minutes later and said a second one hit. Uh, and so that was kind of the indication that something was going on. And, and Ruth Ann was, I think, out at, out at some events um, and we got in touch with her. Uh, and then we kind of spent the rest of the day on uh, on a series of of conference calls, um, one of her very early decisions was to close state government um, and encourage all the schools to close, which they did, and send everybody home. Because while we didn't really know what was happening, um, she knew that everybody would want to be with their families, um, and especially the parents would want to be with their kids, no matter the fact that it was happening in D.C. and New York, which are you know not in Delaware, but also not very far away. So she very quickly made that decision um, and we sent everybody home. She and I uh, and others made our way to uh, the DEMA um, bunker outside Smyrna and spent the day there. Um, I remember receiving briefings from the federal government. Um, She did a call um, in the afternoon with the media to to talk about what we knew and, and what steps we were taking. Um, to, to protect uh, and learn as much as we could here in Delaware. Um, it, was a, uh, it, was, it was a long and kind of scary day uh, to be in charge because you didn't exactly know uh, what was going on, but she was, you know, she was steady as a rock as usual all the way through it and, and just um, making solid decisions all the way through.
3: So I want to switch gears to something that like, a lot of people will remember her for. And I'm hoping to get your perspective on being on the inside on this one, and that, of course, is Senate Bill 99, the smoking ban. What was it like? What would we? We know it came about in part because her husband, her second husband, uh, had passed away, and one of the things contributing factors was his smoking. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was it like in the office? Um, How adamant was she about getting that done and getting that done without poison pill amendments?
5: It was, um, you know, it it was a little, I don't think it was a struggle personally for her. She was, by the time she was governor, having lost a husband to cancer, um, she very much was personally opposed to smoking. Um, And as the bill came forward, you know, the question for her was where she was going to take that stand politically. Um, she was a she was a creature of of downstate. Her her political base was downstate, which was a more rural um, and, quite frankly, more pro-smoking area. It was it was not an instantaneous decision. It, uh, as the bill came forward, that that's where she was going to be. Eventually, her decision was. I'm going to be for this, and I'm going to be for it unapologetically. and as it was being bounced back and forth between the House and the Senate, um, and there was a little gamesmanship um, or disagreement going on between adding things in and adding things taking things out as as far as what kind of facilities uh, it applied to, she finally made the statement to to the leadership, "I want the strongest bill I can get. Um, she she essentially signaled that um, whatever they sent her um, that she would sign, um, which was a pretty significant thing um, to say. And uh, so we ended up with a bill that included restaurants, which was a big part of it, that included bars, which was an even more um, controversial part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she signed it. Um, it was interesting because based on the, the timing of the way it came to us, she was proud to sign it and, and wanted, to, uh, wanted to have a, a, a pretty significant ceremony, which we scheduled for Rodney Square in Wilmington to sign this uh, landmark first in the, in the country um, indoor smoking ban. And got a call uh, essentially from Dover Downs saying, you are having your smoking ban uh, signing ceremony the week of the NASCAR race in Dover where the t- main sponsor is Winston and had been for years. Um, we're gonna have all the tobacco executives there and this is gonna look really bad. Um, it's gonna be embarrassing them in our state if you, if you have this uh, signing ceremony while, while NASCAR is in town. And she did it anyway. It was an accomplishment. I don't think any of us realized at the time how signature of an accomplishment it would become for her. But we knew it was a very big deal. Um, you know, as I said, it was the first the first one in the country that that uh, was statewide in nature and of the breadth that it was. Um, and she was uh, personally for it um, and was unapologetic about it. So she was not going to uh, sign it in the shadows. But it is obviously something that then came to factor into uh, to her 2004 reelection. The ban went into effect, I believe, just after the 2002 elections, yeah. um, right about Thanksgiving.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, in fact, it could be that the night before Thanksgiving, Plus, which is, of course, the I you know the bars, a very big people. a very big bar night, was the first day that it was that was in effect. Um, and so that happened in late 2002, but by the time 2004 came along, it was still very much a live issue, and there were people who were uh, still very upset about it and talking about um, trying to roll it back. Um, and in in 2003, um, we saw bumper stickers that came out that said "Ban Ruth Ann," and we saw them downstate, um, and she saw them in her hometown of Milford uh, as she as she drove around when she was home. As we approached the 2004 election, one of the things that we that we realized was we were we were in political trouble downstate. Um, And not all of that has to do with the smoking ban, but one of the things that I think she should get credit for is um, being possibly a more progressive governor uh, than a lot of people would, would have expected or, or even give her credit for now. Um, not only the smoking ban, but she came out um, for one of the uh, equality bills in the legislature, um, a non-discrimination bill that, that was kind of the first in the series uh, of bills that came later that included um, civil unions and then, and then marriage equality and then other um, non-discrimination bills. In, in the mid-2000s there was a version of that bill that was coming up every year and and was not succeeding and at one point she she came out in favor of it um, and that was that was a big move and uh, so that kind of cost her downstate uh, and so in 2004 the governor from Milford, the governor from Kent and Sussex County lost Kent and Sussex counties in the 2004 re-election uh, and and won uh, Newcastle County and, and won re-election. Um, and I'm not sure that that's uh, how we would have guessed that would have played out. Um, but I think it is a, uh, a testament to, to her, um, Core beliefs that she was she was kind of willing to um, defy um, people who she thought of and who thought of her as as their their base. I could not tell you whether it was 2002 or 2003 or 2004, but she, um, it was probably early on <laughs> when it was still a hotter political topic. Um, she rode through the Milford Halloween Parade, which was a big parade in her hometown, Um, thousands and thousands of people. And she was a sitting governor, she's a native from there, but she had people booing her and jeering at her and throwing cigarettes at her from the sidelines um, because of her support for for the smoking ban. And um, she kept her head up uh, and, she certainly didn't let it uh, affect her, her um, devotion to, to the issue, but that had to have been a, a tough thing to deal with personally. So education, um, and especially education for people who had, to, who had to work for it, who had to struggle for it, was obviously something that um, was, was part of her personal story. Uh, and there was and was near and dear to her heart. she didn't finish high school. she later went back and got a GED. Uh, she took some college classes but never finished. Um, but she certainly uh, believed in the value of of an education and the ability of an education to uh, to help people uh, succeed in life uh, and so she was um, always supportive of finding ways to help people get that education. Um, and so one of her signature initiatives of her second term, which she started um, her second inauguration speech with, um, was was the Seed Scholarship. Um, it was an idea that had been around um, that Senator Harris McDowell had, had talked about, but once she took it on, uh, and said, I want anybody who, who does well in, in high school um, to have a chance at a at a college scholarship. Um, and in those first years it was it was getting tuition at Dell Tech. Um, you only had to have a I think a C average or higher. And she wanted it not just to be a reward, but to be a motivator. She, after it went into effect, would go into uh, middle schools and say this is Delaware's promise to you if you get a C or better in high school if you can just do that then we're gonna help pay for for college at Del Tech and um, to her that was that was a big part of her legacy the conversations that I remember with her I mean obviously we talked about work a lot um, and we and we hashed out issues um, but the conversations that I remember now, you know years later were, were about her family. Um, you know, family was a, was a huge uh, blessing to her and obviously a huge support. If you ever saw her campaigns or, or her annual crab feast, it was her sons and her daughters-in-law and uh, her grandchildren um, who all came together to, to make that make those things happen. And so, Whenever you talked to her, or as uh, especially um, when she was lieutenant governor and I would drive with her to events, um, the conversations were about her family. You heard, you heard about how the grandkids were doing uh, in school or in college or in sports, um, or you'd hear about um, a, a towing uh, call that the boys had been on. Um, you know, when I think about my conversations with, with Ruth Ann, um, it's, it's hearing stories about her family that, that I remember the most.
0: Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dems, on Twitter at DEMS, and on Instagram also at Dems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.